All right, so we are back in Matthew chapter 6, stepping baby steps, baby steps through uh, the Lord's Prayer. So um, we're moving to the, the fourth petition, which we, uh, we, we answered the catechism question just moments ago, didn't we, what, what the fourth petition is. Uh, we're moving out of the thys. We've been talking about the thys. We're moving into the us's now. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. So let's read there, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, where Jesus tells his disciples, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is where the Lord's Prayer moves from God and his glory to man and his need. Sinclair Ferguson uh, says, Since man was made for the glory of God, he can never be what he is intended to be until his life is properly focused on the glory of God. And the first three petitions, we're praying for the very will of God for creation, that his name would be hallowed, revered and holied in all the earth, right? That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven, and it's after we've acknowledged God for who he is, our heavenly father, and acknowledged his will and his goals for his creation, that now we begin to pray for his provision for us. Give us this day our daily bread. I play guitar, not as well as Joshua Gilo. He's real good. But I play a little guitar. Uh, Dad plays guitar. Some of you may play guitar. And before you just pick up the guitar and you just start strumming away, what do you do? You, you tune it up, don't you? You pick it up, you start tuning it to make sure all the notes sound right. That's, that's what we do when we begin praying the Lord's Prayer. Tuning our prayer into the key God is playing in recognizing he has desires too. And we want our desire to be in tune with this. Then we begin to to ask him for things, ask things of him. And I'm becoming more and more convinced as we go through this that this really should be a pattern for nearly all of our prayers. Not not that God doesn't hear you if you, you know, some other prayer. Not not that he wouldn't answer some other kind of prayer, but this is a framework. This, This framework that Jesus has given us It helps us to to consider that prayer really is primarily for us. There's something, you know, it's about God, but it's for you. You're able to draw near to God and commune with him. And that makes us more like him. When you consider that, you can see how approaching God this way in this prayer, the way that Jesus lays out this prayer, it quiets your spirit. It recalibrates your thinking. It reshapes your desires before you give voice to what those desires even are. Your prayer ends up being colored with humility and adorned with truth. You begin to pray as though you know the one that you're praying to. You're not just pitching coins into a wishing well. And this first us petition here is give us this day our daily bread. And it strikes me that the very first thing that we pray for, after, after praying all the, 
all the thighs, is that God would give us our daily bread. That's telling, I think. It immediately bases us on earth, doesn't it? We talked about our Heavenly Father, and now we're, we're reminded of our creatureliness, aren't we? It bases us here as earthly creatures and reminds us of the eternality of our Father in heaven that we're addressing. It reminds us of our humanity. We're not just praying for spiritual things, we're praying to our God who is spirit for physical things so that, so that we can live. And these physical things are things that only he can provide. We pray for the very thing we need for our existence to continue on the earth. Our daily bread, physical sustenance. We're praying to be kept alive. We depend on him for that. And that reminds us of how intimately involved God is with his creation, that he cares for our bodies. You may have heard it said before that um, the salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross wasn't just a soul salvation. It's a whole salvation. He saved all of us. When Jesus ministered to people, we looked at this a week or so ago, when he ministered to people, he addressed the physical. He brought physical healing to people's bodies. He brought physical, uh, he satisfied physical hunger. And so it's right and appropriate that we pray for what we need to go on living and carrying out his will for us in this life. What the fourth petition shows us, this is the main idea this morning, is that the life of a Christian is lived one day at a time. The life of a Christian is lived one day at a time, relying on God for what is needful. I'll go ahead and tell you now, I haven't, uh, I haven't come across this in a long time, but sometimes there are words uh, in the New Testament, in the Greek, that the, that the New, Testament's, New Testament writers use, they, they just make them up. Paul's famous for this. They just make up words that you can't find anyplace else, but they, they're trying to to explain or describe something that is, that is very difficult for them to describe. And that's the, that's the case here. Um, you know, obviously we're not living in the first century, we're not speaking Greek, so sometimes it can be difficult for us to understand exactly what they meant when, when they said this, what they intended to say. And we have one of those problem words here, it's the word daily. The word they use for daily, give us this day our daily bread, is not the typical Greek word for daily. It's this weird peculiar word. Epiousios is what it is. This kind of stuff drives you nuts when, when you're working through a text. This word, epiousios, you might define it as pertaining to, recurring on a daily basis. Could be. That's what we immediately think of. Today for today, right? That's certainly plausible. But another responsible interpretation is that it, it, it's that which is needed for tomorrow, for the following day or for the future. Not confusing at all, right? But that fits too. Given the, the future-oriented idea of the kingdom that we're praying for in this prayer, that God's name would be hallowed in the earth, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. So that fits too, that we're praying for the future blessing of his kingdom today. You see that? that we would taste the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, as Hebrews 6, 5 says. Even though the kingdom has not come in its fullness, we're encouraged to ask for its power by the Spirit today. It's tomorrow's bread tasted today. I couldn't help but hear uh, the voice of one of my 
seminary professors, Dr. Kara, while I was uh, while I was studying for the sermon and stumbling on this word, I could hear him in his, his very strange voice say, uh, meaning is not on the word level. <laughs> it's on the book level. Context is king, he would say. And the book of Matthew is about the kingdom of God. What Jesus keeps talking about is the kingdom of God. What Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount so far is the kingdom of God. What Jesus just got done telling us to pray for was the kingdom of God. So I've got to think this idea of praying for a taste of it here in this petition fits. After praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we ask, let me have a taste of what we just asked for. We know what's coming and we want it now. I mean, how could we not? Having a glimpse, how could we not? But if that's the right interpretation of this Greek word, then it, then it forces the rest of the petitions to, to follow in, in that mold, I think. You know, because if it doesn't, then this petition's tied to the kingdom and the rest aren't. So we either have a prayer that's disjointed, or we have one that's whole. We either have a clean cut off from kingdom orientation after thy will be done, and move into give us this day, where the rest of the petitions are all about surviving one more day, or if this interpretation's correct, this future-oriented idea, that we're praying for tomorrow's bread today, then we're still praying kingdom stuff through the rest of the prayer. The whole thing's like that. You know, where we live in light of the fact that we're forgiven and, and uh, you know, where we're asking that, that we're forgiven as we forgive others in verse 12, and we're not tempted so easy, easily, but delivered from evil as a result of Satan's power being undone because of the kingdom coming, right? So you, you can go both directions with this. Do you think it's possible in God's sovereignty he would allow the gospel writers to use this weird word in his holy scripture that biblical scholars would fuss about the meaning of for thousands of years later so that our attention would be drawn both ways? Could he do that? Is it possible that emphasis is shared? That we're asking for future kingdom blessings while recognizing our daily need for sustenance from him? I think so. One being true doesn't make the other false, right? These don't contradict one another, whichever way you go. In fact, they complement one another, don't they? Give us today our daily bread. A taste now of what's to come, but also relying daily for what is needful for today. You think of manna. Remember that? God gave his, his people manna when they were in the wilderness. A daily ration. God was leading his people uh, via Moses through the wilderness. God provided for them manna from heaven. There was only enough for one day. You remember that? You could stuff your pockets with some and try to store it up for tomorrow, but it'd be spoiled by the next morning, right? There's only enough for the day. It was a lesson in daily dependence. That was the course they were taking in the, in the wilderness. It was a lesson in dependence upon God. And there's something about this petition of this prayer that implies I'll be back again tomorrow to ask for what I need for tomorrow. But at the same time, aren't we praying for a taste of what tomorrow brings a, a taste of the realities of the kingdom of God coming. 
If we're praying that God would hasten his kingdom, aren't our hearts longing for it? Aren't we eager for it already? You know, those, those brownies got to bake a while. But you telling me you don't want to lick the spoon? Didn't the Hebrews in the wilderness know that while they were living off the manna day to day to day, that they were headed to a place that was promised to them that was flowing with milk and honey? Didn't they know that? Wasn't that what God promised? So that, that idea fits in this context, you see? Praying for what's to come. It's only when we covet what God has called us to leave behind that we get in trouble. Praying fervently and expectantly for what God has promised is right. It was when the Hebrews longed for the leeks and onions of Egypt instead of eagerly anticipating the abundance in the land of promise that God was taking them to. That, that, that was their mistake. Looking back, right? If they prayed for their manna daily, received it with thanksgiving, and prayed God hasten the day when the fullness of his promise would come, that'd be a right fit in prayer, wouldn't it? That's a right fit in prayer for us. Give us what we need for today and a taste of tomorrow. Give us, give us the fullness that we're hoping for. Either way you look at it, the main idea holds up. The life of a Christian is lived one day at a time. Relying daily on God for the most basic needs we have and calling down the fullness of his blessing upon creation until it comes. Now with that long introduction, let me give you two points we'll cover, okay? The first is simply what we're praying for in this petition, and we've covered some of that already. And the second is, if God already knows, why pray at all? If God's sovereign and everything works out according to, to his will, and he already knows what he's going to give me, what he's not going to give me, what he's going to do, what he's not going to do, why bother praying at all? That's a good question, one I think we need to cover as we're talking about prayer generally and as we're praying for things specifically in these last few petitions of the Lord's Prayer. So, point number one, what it is that we're praying for. We're quite obviously praying for what we need. What we're not praying for is, is we're not asking for riches in, a, in, a, in an overabundance. We're not asking for yachts and a house in the Alps and one in the Caymans. We're asking for the things that we need. We're asking for God to provide for us. We, we ask for enough to live. And in that, we're acknowledging it is by the hand of God that we have anything at all. We rely on him for what we eat, much less what we drive, what we sleep in, what, you know, what entertainments we enjoy. We're asking for health and sustenance so that we can do what God has called us to do while we live. We want a healthy body. We want a sound mind. Those things are foundational. Anything else he chooses to bless us with is a bonus. And so we pray for the basics, recognizing without God we wouldn't have those. God cares for the most basic needs of his creatures. Sometimes we get this big idea of God and we cannot have, a, we cannot have too, too big a view of God. You can't. You, you can't. you can't fathom. You can't have too big of an idea of God. But sometimes we think, we think of him only as being big, and so he starts to lose some of his 
his personality, right? We, we start to forget that he, he loves us, he's near to us, he, he cares for all of the details. You, you ever think, you know, you don't want to bother God with something? Have you, has that ever kind of struck you? Well, God doesn't care about that. You know, the, I'll take the big stuff to him, but like he, surely he doesn't care about the small things. Yes, he does. He cares about all of it. He's aware of all of it. He's concerned with all of it. He cares for the most basic needs of his creatures. Y'all, when the crops are thirsty, he sends the rain. He sends the rain. When the bird is hungry, he finds a worm. Just the way this place ticks. Bird's hungry, finds a worm. Or he finds my wife's bird feeders. Or the squirrels do, and that's annoying. That's another story. The point is, as David says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. He supplies us with what we need. We pray for enough, and the Lord gives us enough. Not too much and not too little. And when we pray this petition, we're essentially saying, God, don't give us so much that we would forget you, that we would forget where this stuff comes from. And don't give us so little that we'd be tempted to, to steal from someone what we need. Give us what we need. And you know, there are some people God can give millions of dollars to, and their heart just isn't tied to it. Their heart's tied to God. I know some people like that, wildly generous people, who not only don't live above their means, they don't live up to their means. They live very modestly in order to lavishly bless others. There's people like that. There's others, and I dare say most, who God does not give millions of dollars to because he knows it would ruin them. And that's not a lack of providence. That's providing exactly what they need, what is most needful. And what any of us needs more than anything is him. And an awareness of our reliance upon him, that's what we need. If your awareness of that reliance isn't diminished by an abundance, then you might find he chooses you to bless you with more than you need. But for most, it's always just enough. Just enough so we keep coming back to the source. Because our coming back is good for us. Our awareness of that dependence, our reliance upon him is good for us. We need that. So when we pray for our daily bread, we're coming back to God once more, living a day at a time, asking for what is needful for the day as we pray expectantly for tomorrow. Not for extra, but certainly for everything he's promised. That's point number one. Point number two, if God already knows, why pray? That's a really good question. I think any thinking person who becomes a Christian asks that question at some point. If God already, God already knows what he's going to do, he's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Talked about that a week or so ago. What difference does it make if I pray? Is God really going to change his mind about anything just because I pray? And that's where I think people get lost. That's where we get lost, this idea of God changing his mind. Our, our, your prayers don't change God's mind. 
but they do change things. Your prayers change things. It just so happens that God's providence includes the prayers of his people. Don't ask me how it works. It just does. Kelly Parton had a brain tumor. Do you all remember that? We prayed. She doesn't have a brain tumor anymore. She's over there in the nursery right now watching those kids. Joseph's co-worker had a brain aneurysm. Lo and behold, came time for surgery. There was no aneurysm. We prayed for Bill Pope for years. He, they're like family. He wasn't going to let me evangelize him. But there he is. Born again. New member of the church. Don't ask me how it works. It just does. We don't pray to change God's mind. But in God's providence, our prayers change things. God ordains the ends, the outcomes. And he ordains the means, the ways in which he brings those outcomes about. He's sovereign not just over the ends, but he's sovereign over the means. God works in and through the prayers of his people. So we we shouldn't ever get discouraged about coming to God in prayer because we think he's got it all worked out. You know, we don't let the sovereignty of God get in the way of us, us, you know, just praying our hearts out before God and asking him for things. No, y'all, we should get excited about prayer because God is sovereign. If he weren't, prayer would be silly. That'd be a foolish proposition. Asking some impotent God to, to do something you know he cannot do, right? Asking God to answer prayer that, that doesn't have the ability to, to do it. No, we come to him because he is sovereign. We can expect him to answer prayer because he is sovereign. He's sovereign over the ends, the outcomes, and he's sovereign over the means. And in his providence, he uses our prayers to change things. We do have to come to him humbly in prayer, though, right? He's not a genie, you know? He's not waiting for us to, waiting to grant us three wishes. He doesn't work that way, and that's pretty good, too, because if he did, that means he'd be obeying us and our wills. That would make us God, wouldn't it? And history shows what lousy gods humans make, if you read a book. (laughs) We can't even begin to see how off-the-wall, crazy, selfish, and damaging some of our desires are if we got our way. And if all of our wishes came true, it'd be bad for us, it'd be bad for everyone else. God knows that. And so sometimes, maybe even a lot of the time, his answer to your prayer is no. God answers all prayers. It's just sometimes the answer is no. We prayed... We prayed for my father-in-law when he was dying that God would heal him. 
God, God's answer was no. That's hard to accept. But good parents say no a lot, don't they? Don't good parents say no a lot? And it's never because they don't want their children to be happy. It's because they just know better. They know in the grand scheme of things that is not what is best for the child. But we can become angry with God when we've laid our hearts bare before him, when we've prayed for a dying loved one, or he's taken away someone precious to us and we think he's made a mistake. And we tell him, you just don't understand. I realize what, what I'm about to say strikes a nerve. I want to be sensitive to that. I really do. But it, it's true, and we have to be reminded of this, okay? This isn't to dismiss your pain or your grief if you've experienced some of that. It's not meant to be a catch-all for suffering. It's not what it is. It's just a matter of fact. We are not God's guidance counselors, you know? We're not bringing him new information and bringing things to his attention he hasn't already considered when we pray. Nothing escapes his notice or concern. I know we all know that. But I think sometimes we pray to God like he's a referee who made a bad call. Can we do that? Or we pray as though we've got the inside scoop on something, you know? Like we've got an offer he can't refuse. A once in a lifetime opportunity. You see God, if you just make this thing work out over here then this other thing will happen. Well you'd like that wouldn't you God? Let's make a deal. Bargaining with God. Often our prayers sound like we're trying to bargain with God or we're trying to direct God. But he's not a genie and we're not his advisory board. This prayer shows us that. He already knows exactly what we need, and he still asks us to come, which means the asking is for us. The asking itself is for us. His invitation to come have contact with him in prayer is for our benefit. That's why we pray. Even though God already knows, he still wants us to pray because it's good for us to be with him, just to be with him. And he delights to give us what we ask for when he knows what we're asking for is good. Jesus talks about that in, in the next chapter, right? About how if your son asked you for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone, would you? If he asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what Jesus says. God does delight in giving us good things. It's just sometimes what we think is good, what we think is a good request may not be and you know the asking itself isn't sinful right it's no more sinful than you know Watson asking for a no it was Wells that wants a spy drone right there's nothing sinful in the asking ask away but sometimes it's not what's best you know it's a good thing they don't have neighbors anymore with the spy drone thing <laughs> God knows what's best for us. He really does. And again, sometimes when his answer is no, when he doesn't give us the desires of our hearts, 
It's not even that it was a sinful desire. It just wasn't what was going to be best for us. Even when you're sure it is, right? You were sure that was, that was the thing. When I was 15, my dad had an old Jeep CJ8. They're rare as hen's teeth. And this one was sweet. It was cherry red, jacked up on big old tires. It was nice. And he told me he was going to give it to me when I turned 16. I was pumped about that. But then he came to his senses. He changed his mind. I did not take it well. I got over it. It wasn't long before I understood that that would not have been good for me. What was good for me was driving a beat-up pickup truck with no power steering, manual everything, a radio that didn't work, and that was only blue when it was wet. The rest of the time, it was just sort of an ashy, faded color with some rust sprinkled in. That's what was best for me. I don't know that it was safer. It was a banged-up soup can on wheels, but... That's what was best for me. Because it taught me things that that Jeep would not have taught me. And I didn't have as many girlfriends because no one would be seen with me in it, so that worked out pretty well too, as it turns out. But you see, I needed the wisdom of my father more than the desires of my heart. So we pray with faith in the one we're praying to believing he is wiser than us and knows what's best for us and that he doesn't withhold good from us. He just knows better than we do what good is. Praying with faith is asking God while trusting God with the outcome. Praying without faith is demanding things from God and being angry with him when you don't get the outcome you expected. What we should always expect from God is always more than we deserve. Because he has a proven track record of always giving us more than we deserve, doesn't he? He knows better than we do what we need. He knows better than we do what's truly best for us. And we can trust he will always give it to us. Enough for today and a taste of tomorrow so we're never without hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, I simply pray that you would help our unbelief. Help us to to trust you. Help us to come to you truly as children come to a father. Help us to know our our dependence on you, to smile at your providence in our life. Help us to be able to see the ways in which you have worked in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Help us to rejoice in our salvation. God, I pray that you'd do this for the people of this church, for people everywhere in your church all over the world. Lord, do it this day for your own glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.